please be seated. Uh, today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 3. We're going through the Gospel of Luke right now. Uh, you can find it on page 3 of your bulletin. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Apturiae and Trachinitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Cephas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all the flesh shall see the salvation of God. John said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked John, What then shall we do? And John answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to John, Teacher, what shall we do? And John said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked John, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, the Savior, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to tie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other expectations, John preached good news to the people, but Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. This is the word of the Lord. Can you guys hear? Yes? All right. Sorry, guys. Not sure what was wrong with that mic pack. It was green. Don't know what, what was going on, but um, thank you guys. Thank you guys for being here. Um, I know a lot of people are traveling for Memorial Day, uh, my family included, so thank you guys if you're tuning in um, on the stream as well. Um, so we are going through the Gospel of Luke. 
And last week, Rich, he preached uh, from Luke 2. He talked about Jesus as a boy in the temple. And today we are going through Luke 3 um, as um, it fast forwards, basically, right? From Luke 2 to Luke 3, it fast forwards uh, to John the Baptist proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah, right? He's bringing salvation to the people. And John the Baptist, he is one of the greatest prophets of all time. And we know this because Jesus himself says this. And John, he's bringing a powerful message of repentance, forgiveness, and salvation to everybody as he travels. All right, sorry. All right, so he's telling everybody that the Savior Jesus, he's coming. He's telling people to prepare the way for his coming. And so the Jews during this time, they've been eagerly waiting for centuries for God to bring salvation and deliverance from their enemies. And so in the first two verses of our sermon text, um, we see uh, that there is a precise historical timeline of when John the Baptist comes onto the scene. And during this time, the Jews, they were heavily oppressed by the Roman government. Uh, the Jewish people, they were miserable. And so when John comes, they are ready. They're excited to hear from this fiery new prophet, John. And then John says, salvation is coming. Right? Prepare the way for this king. Repent and be baptized. And so I imagine that the people, they're excited at first. Oh, salvation, and there's a king coming, right? But then they're worried. They hear about repentance. And so they're wondering, is this good news of salvation? Or is this a warning and a rebuke? And I imagine John, he would simply reply with, yes. And so today we'll look at what it means for us to prepare the way and to have a heart of repentance. I have three points for us as we go through our sermon passage. Our first point is preparing the way. Our second point is the way of repentance. And the third is the king of the way. So as John comes to proclaim the coming of Jesus and as he's baptizing people in the Jordan River, he's fulfilling these centuries-old prophecy of Isaiah 40. Luke 3 verse 4 that uh, Rich read says this about the prophecy. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight. And the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John the Baptist, he's saying, I am this voice that's crying out in the wilderness. He's saying, Isaiah is talking about me. I'm the one heralding and proclaiming the coming king and the salvation of God. So John is telling everybody, prepare the way for the king. Back in ancient times, they didn't have um, freeways or highways and roads like we have nowadays, right? There are no railroads that tunneled through mountains. Um, there are no BART trains that went from Oakland under the water and popped out on the other side to San Francisco. What you had back then was whatever nature gave you. Right? So you either went around it or you went through it. And so these natural roads, they, were they would form as horses, wagons, and people, they would walk on the same path. It would create these uh, tracks and these ruts but there were no fancy machines like we have now to build paved roads. But if you were this um, important and powerful king and an emperor, then you would send your people ahead of you and into the towns ahead of you, and they would hype you up. They would tell the townspeople to prepare the way for the coming of this king. And so if they wanted to receive the king into their town, they had to do the work of leveling the roads, filling in the dips, smoothing out the rocky paths, 
and clearing the way so that the king could come through, right? It was like rolling a red carpet out for a very important per, uh, person. So Isaiah's prophecy, he says, prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight so that he can come into town unhindered. And so John the Baptist, he is the forerunner, right? He is the messenger that comes before the king. He's telling everybody to prepare the way. The prophecy continues, every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. It doesn't just say fill in the little dips and level the small mounds, but it goes to the extremes because of the person that is coming, right? The ultimate king, the Lord of the universe is coming and he is worthy of us to going to the greatest extremes to clear a path for him. But you see, risen, the path is not a physical path. It's a spiritual path. It's a path to our hearts. And we know that clearing this path is not easy because we have competing allegiances and other kings with paths to our hearts. You see, within our lives and in our hearts, we all live for something. We all serve someone. Right? Our allegiance is given to the thing that we serve the most. And the pathway to our hearts, it reflects that. What we find is that this thing and this person that we serve the most, it's really ourselves, right? It's ourselves. And so John's call to prepare the way for this coming king and John's call to repentance is really a summons to shift our allegiance away from the kingdom of ourselves and to shift it to the kingdom of God. You see, there are two kingdoms in this world, the kingdom of self, pride, power and worship obedience and allegiance to yourself the kingdom of self living in our own worlds of our own making and then there's a kingdom of humility sacrifice service grace compassion worship obedience and allegiance to the king to the god of the universe living in the kingdom of god and risen there is a deep struggle and battle in our hearts because if we're honest, living in one kingdom other than the others is hard, right? We cannot live in both. We cannot keep switching allegiances. And perhaps we struggle with placing our allegiance in the kingdom of God because the kingdom of self, right? Allegiance to ourself, it's easier. We make the rules. We call the shots. We don't need to bend too much in order to fit our own agenda. If there's something that we don't like, we can simply ignore it or change it to fit our preferences and comforts, right? We feel like we are in control in this kingdom. We make our own pathways in our hearts to fit our own needs, right? If we want to put a mountain or a wall up to block out and ignore hard conversations that challenge us, we can. If we want to dig a valley here in our hearts and sulk in our shame and our guilt and hide away from people, we can. If we decide we don't want to put in the work of being emotionally and spiritually healthy, we can simply ignore the work and let the pathway to our hearts be overrun with weeds. Well, the roads will turn rocky and crooked. Right? We feel like we are in control of this kingdom and we like it. You see, church, allegiance to this kingdom of self, it will bring temporary comfort as we go with the flow of our hearts. We cater to ourselves and the lifestyles that we want, ignoring the rest 
but it won't last forever. And so this is why John says, listen, friends, turn away from these other kingdoms that aren't lasting. Right? Prepare the way of the Lord and his eternal kingdom. He's saying, let King Jesus help you fill in the spiritual valleys and level the spiritual mountains of your heart. Let him come in, receive the king that will challenge you in all the areas of your heart. Not to harm you maliciously. Yes, these challenges will hurt, but it's going to grow you. It will give you a greater purpose in life. It's going to bring you a deep, lasting peace and an internal joy. John is saying, let him bring salvation to you away from the dead end of self. He's saying, let Christ speak a new life into you. This is what John is saying when he says, prepare the way of the Lord. But we know, Risen, that this path in our hearts for Jesus, clearing it for Jesus, will not be easy. We know it's going to take continual work and repentance. It's going to take much prayer. It's going to take a church community to walk with you. And ultimately, it's going to take a Savior to bring you through. Our second point is this, the way of repentance. So if John's call is to prepare the way and to repent, we need to ask, what is repentance? You know, we don't use this word in our everyday language anymore, but it simply means to change. Uh, the Greek word here is metanoeo. Meta literally means after, and it implies that a change is going to happen after something happens. Noeo means to think, to perceive. And so if you put it together, it literally means there's a changing of your mind, a changing of your perception. And in Scripture, it's more than just a changing of your mind and perception of God. It's more than just an intellectual change. But it starts with the mind. It goes through the heart. It affects our emotions, our words, and our actions. Pastor and theologian Sam Storms, he says this about the meaning of this word, metanoeo. He says, The conclusion some may draw is that the only sense in which a Christian is required to repent is to change one's mind or to rethink sin and one's relationship with God. But the meaning of words is not determined in this way, but rather on usage and context. A change of mind or perspective is of no value, listen to this, if it isn't accompanied by a change of direction, a change of life and action. Genuine repentance begins, but by no means ends with heartfelt conviction of sin. And so you see, repentance is a changing of our minds and our hearts, the way we think and feel about sin. It's changing our lives as our affections are less and less for our sins and more and more for God. We are continually learning to turn away from the kingdom of self and sin. We're continually learning to turn towards God, living for God. And so a changed heart, a continual fighting to turn to God, whereas in this is the way of repentance. And so if this is what repentance is, what is not repentance? Well, we see this in our sermon text. John, he's going around, he's calling for people to turn to God, to repent and be baptized. And when one gets baptized, you are outwardly declaring, you're publicly declaring that you're now in the kingdom of God. 
right? You're saying that your heart and your allegiance is for Jesus. And so in verse 7, we see that some people, they come to John, they want to get baptized, and you think, awesome, right? They're responding to John's message, and they want to get baptized. But then John puts them on full blast. He says this in verse 7 and 9. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so at first you think, okay, John's being pretty dramatic here. He's being pretty mean and harsh to people that want to get baptized. But what he is calling out here, he's calling out the issues of the heart of these people. Right? They don't really have a heart of repentance. They want to get baptized because they think that baptism is going to protect them from the wrath and judgment of God. They're not really turning away from their kingdoms of self. They're just looking out for themselves. They want to cover their own butts while serving their own kingdoms. And so John calls it out. He says, man, this ritual of baptisms is not going to protect you from the God's wrath. He goes on in verse uh, 8 and he says, do, my, do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. John says, you're also not saved just because you are ethnic descendants of Abraham, of whom which God made a promise with. Right? But John sees the heart issues of their allegiance to themselves, unwilling to turn to and submit to God, unwilling to look to God for salvation. Right? They're just looking out for themselves. So John, he calls them snakes calls them a brood of vipers, poisonous snakes. Their hearts are not right. You see, risen Christianity is always first about the heart. The way of repentance is not faking our hearts through our actions, but a repentant heart sees the competing allegiances of our hearts and it chooses to turn to the kingdom of God. It chooses to turn to Jesus for salvation. A repentant heart will prepare the way of the Lord to receive him. A repentant heart will learn to be humbled as it allows Jesus to break down the walls and the mountains that hinder you from him. A repentant heart will be humbled as it learns to fill in its valleys. It allows Jesus to fill you with his grace, his joy, his truth, and his forgiveness. And this process, it's not a one-time deal. All of us struggle with the sin of self. The way of repentance is living in a lifelong, continual turning away from ourselves, the kingdom of self, and turning to the kingdom of God. So this heart of repentance this way of repentance, it will change you. You will begin to grow spiritually. You'll begin to bear fruit. And so we talked briefly about what repentance is, what it is not. And now let's take a quick look at what repentance produces. John shows us. Right? He gives us a good example of what bearing fruit looks like. He gives us an example and image of a tree. He says, we are like these trees. If the tree is malnourished, diseased, or dying, it's not going to bear fruit. 
It needs to be cut down and thrown away. He gives this warning to the crowds. He says this in verse 9. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. But you see, risen, if the tree is healthy, it's going to grow. It's going to bear fruit from its branches. Healthy trees have healthy roots. And what John is saying is that a heart of repentance is like having healthy roots. It allows the tree to bear fruit. But you need to tend to the roots. You need to tend to your heart. And so in verse 8, John says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Right? Know this phrase, keeping in with repentance. It's a continual tending to the roots. It's living the life and the way of repentance. And this is how you learn to bear fruit. John, he gives a very practical example of, of what bearing fruit looks like. Verse 11 to 14, he says this. The crowds asked John, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors, they also came to be baptized. He said, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And John said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation. Be content with your wages. These three examples, they're all, all rooted in how we are to be selfless, compassionate, generous, and putting the well-being of others before ourselves. Spiritual growth in godly character is very much a part of being in the kingdom of God. Risen, is this us? Do we have a heart of repentance? We must take a sober and honest look at our hearts. This brings us to our last point. And I'll close with this. You know, I think, um, I think this passage in Luke, it's actually very hard to listen to. It's not easy because naturally we don't like to be told that we're wrong. We don't like to be rebuked or corrected or told that our thinking and living is incorrect. We don't like to be told that we are selfish, that we're essentially living for ourselves. It hurts. Maybe it feels like we're going to never be good enough. We feel exposed and wounded. Risen, the goal of repentance, the way of repentance, is not to make us feel morose, shame, or sorrow, but joy. Pastor Brian Chapel he says this, if we begin to trust our sorrow rather than our Savior, then repentance will be our hurt and shame. But here's the mistake we make. Because repentance necessarily means grief over our sin, we think that grief is the goal. It is not. The goal is joy. Risen, the hard truth is that these wounds that we feel, they expose our hearts. Not to shame us, not to make us feel any less loved, but to wake us up from the spiritual reality of what is going on, that there are competing kingdoms and allegiances that are fighting for our hearts. 
You see, church, repentance when correctly viewed, it is simply seeing and believing that there is an infinitely and more glorious and beautiful kingdom of God that is greater and far surpasses any joy that we will ever experience in this life. Repentance is simply us fighting for this kingdom of God, hating our sin and anything that hinders us from this kingdom and this joy, this infinite joy that we have in Christ. Repentance is not simply about rule-keeping, conforming to rituals, living perfectly. Repentance is having a heart that sees Jesus and says, I want you more than anything. I need your healing. I need your salvation. I can't do this on my own. I need you, Jesus. But you guys, maybe you don't feel it. Maybe you want this joy, but you have such a hard time with repentance. Maybe you don't feel like you can muster the strength because after all, right, shifting these pathways in our hearts, man, it's so hard. It's so difficult and it hurts. And so this is why your salvation is not up to you. It's up to Jesus Jesus knows that we have hearts of stone. He knows that the pathway to our hearts are always so cluttered. We are these trees that need to be cut down and thrown into the fire. He knows that we cannot will ourselves to repent. We cannot will ourselves to clean our own hearts. And so he comes to do it for us. John says in verse 16, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John says, Jesus is this mighty king that is coming to bring you salvation. He's coming to purify you in this baptism of fire. And he does this not by cutting us down and throwing us in the fire, but he is cut down. He is thrown into the fire himself on our behalf for us, right? He takes the fire of the judgment and wrath of God that we deserve on the cross as he bled and died. And he did this to purify us so that we would be his, so that we would be brought into the kingdom of God. Our mighty king, he takes all our weaknesses and sin on himself and he gives us his spiritual might and power so that we can walk unashamed in his kingdom so that we can fight for joy. Risen, we are truly loved beyond all measure. So we don't rely on our feeling of repentance. We don't rely on our feelings of whether or not we are good enough. We rely on King Jesus who makes our path straight. I love verse 10. After the crowds, he hear John's message of salvation. They ask, what then shall we do? Risen, every week we hear the gospel. Week after week, we hear the gospel. And we should always ask, what then shall we do? And the answer risen is to look to the mighty one, the mighty king who has come to bring you the joy of your salvation. Allow him to come to you just as you are in this moment. Let him fill you with his truth and his transforming 
love. You're deeply loved by King Jesus risen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are broken people. We hear this message and this story of repentance being cut down and it worries us. We are scared because if it were up to us, we are long lost. We could never save ourselves. We could never be good enough. But God, you love us so much. You are so gracious to us that you would send your son to be cut down for us. So now through faith in Jesus, God, we are seen as perfect and righteous. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. So we pray, Father, that this would stir our hearts and our souls to continually fight for joy, continually fight against the kingdom of self, fight for the kingdom of God. God, move our hearts. Give us the Holy Spirit that it would empower us to see clearly the things that hinder us from seeing you and your glory, the things that hinder us from joy. Oh God, we need you. We are desperate for you. We thank you, Father, for this gospel. that comforts our souls, restores our souls, and renews our lives. We need to hear this every day. Be with Risen. Be with everybody here. Make us a people hungry and desperate for the salvation of Christ. And may that transform us to be a people full of love and grace, not just for ourselves, but for Hayward and the Bay Area, for all our neighbors. that we would see them, we would love them, we would care for them, we would share the love of Christ with them. Do this work here at Risen. In Christ's name, amen.